Alright, I'm recording too. And, uh, yeah, let's kick things off with a big ho ho ho, because this is a, like a Christmassy episode, I guess. <laughs> Alright, here we go. Let me just get the, uh, bowl full of jelly ready here. And, uh, <laughs> let's go. Alright, three, two, one. <laughs> Minister Leone, let's sit down and have a talk. So, so, I hear you have decided not to aid our attack on the Naboo. <laughs> Oh, yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. We must put end to unfortunate, unfortunate bang-bang conflict. It was a great effort and cost for me to bring my armies here. Mr. Sorry, that boss. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, um, Mr. was receiving muy bad advice. If you won't attack the Naboo, I will. You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Here we go. I have a bad feeling about this. Follow me, boys! You're not shinies anymore. Go, go, go! And welcome back to this holiday special episode of The Clone Wars Strikes Back. This is the podcast where we go back and celebrate the six-year history of Star Wars The Clone Wars by discussing each and every episode and episode arc. My name is Dominic Santa Claus Jones, and joining me, as always, is my good friend Kieran and Rudolph Duggan. <laughs> welcome to Rudolph Duggan. I've been I've subordinated <laughs> yeah. to a yeah, exactly. Well, you're, you're the, the the lead reindeer. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I guess. I, I guess I'll have to accept that. Yeah. <laughs> as my new name. Yeah. <laughs> species as well. Well, I sort of like I took the, I took Santa Claus for myself, and I'm like, well, who am I going? Am I going to call him? I sure as hell can't call him Mrs. Claus or something. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rudolph seemed um, like a. I'll take, seemed, I'll take Rudolph then. Actually, yeah. It was it was not? it was either Rudolph or like the elf, and you know, I mean. Elves are all right. I mean, you could be like Buddy the Elf, um, but anyway, anyway, like Buddy the Elf. I'll take Rudolph, thank you. Take Rudolph, yeah. <laughs> I just and need to paint my nose red, and I'll be fine. Exactly. <laughs> Anyhow, Dominic, how are you doing today? You seem to be very jovial with I'm your very... Santa Claus voice as well. I'm very, very jovial. Yeah, it's it's a uh, well. We're recording as of recording this. It's it's December sixteenth. This will probably go out 
about a week from now. Um, so it's almost, it's almost, it's almost Christmas and it's, and it's exciting. You know, it's getting the countdown is, is on and, uh, you know, looking forward to opening up some Star Wars presents. And I mean, we already got a pretty good Star Wars present with that, the Force Awakens trailer, but you know, hey, it's good. And we, you know, Star Wars is kind of infamous for its holiday special. And, and you know, it's kind of, kind of perfect timing that we're talking about these particular Clone Wars episodes uh, on our holiday special. <laughs> um, so yeah, how apt? How apt? Yeah, indeed. Well, how how have you been? How are you? You getting into the into the holiday spirit? I am indeed akin to Dominic here. I am home from university yes. term now, and it is very lovely just to sit at home, relax with the family. And really, do not do anything. I haven't done any <laughs> reading. I have principally played on the PlayStation. Nice. And, of course, I've been indulging myself in Star Wars articles and, of course, recording this podcast right now. I've been watching some more Rebels, actually. Yeah. That's kind of whetted my appetite. And recently finished the talking novel, which yourself, Dom- Dominic, Ben, and Chris discussed on Thursday. Sadly, I was supposed to be there. I was there for the first 15, but for personal reasons, I had to depart part of the way through of that podcast. But nevertheless, I did read it all, and you guys did an exceptional review on that book. It was was a very, very good novel, I have to say. Maybe not as compelling in my mind as Plagueis was. For me, that has been the the pinnacle is the term that you would use of yeah. Star Wars literature. Dominic, you would say your favorite one was A New Dawn. Yeah, A New correct? Dawn. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, I know there's people listening. Oh, A New Dawn. This guy never read a Star Wars novel before they became before they became. Can I? Like, no, I have about I'd say about a hundred novels right next to me. All of them from the the Legends universe. I've read a ton of them, but A New Dawn really just sticks out as as exceptionally well written with a lot of interesting themes and a lot of just interesting material um but anyway anyways we're we're not here to talk about novels that will be for our our our, our next podcast star wars the, the <laughs> novel strike back or something no exactly. we're, we're not doing that although although mind you talking does have a lot of clone wars references which is quite intriguing isn't it yeah you find out you know what happened a couple of which we've spoken to recently haven't we particularly yeah. the citadel that was that was one that's been mentioned. Yeah, right? that was that just kept coming up in that book, and and you find out what happened to you, Lauren, after the after the war ended. That was cool, and yeah, there was just all kinds of good good Clone Wars references, and it's a good it's a good read if you if you if you watch the show. It's a good read in general, but it's especially good if you watch the show. Uh, but but let's jump into the. We're not going to talk about any yeah, of that today. We're not going to talk about any of that episode today. Yeah, that that's a, that's a, that's a teaser for. For, for the show that happened last week, the, uh, the Star Wars Underworld podcast from, from last Thursday or two Thursdays ago when you listen to this. Um, uh, but yeah, let's, let's jump into these episodes. We're talking Shadow Warrior, Mercy Mission and Droids in Distress. An interesting trilogy of, of episodes to say the least. Um, Kieran, do you have a, a, what do, what do you call them? Uh, episode. We have episode, episode synopsis. Episode synopsis. Yeah, I I just blanked on it. I I, I must have had too much eggnog or something. I just kind of <laughs> blanked. Yeah. Do you have episode synopsis for us this week? I do indeed, Dominic. We'll kick off with Shadow Warrior. 
when the leader of the Gungans, Boss Leone, or Leone, however you want to pronounce his name, is injured, it's discovered there is an uncanny resemblance between the boss and Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> very, very uncanny resemblance. Binks must sway his people from rising against the Naboo and stopping a separatist invasion led by General Grievous. And moving on to the, the next two droid arcs, just to fill you in on, on those synopsis. Mercy Mission. After groundquakes have devastated the planet Aline, a Republic relief effort arrives, including the droids R2-D2 and C-3PO. When the native Alinas please go unheard, it becomes the duty of the droids to embark on a surreal journey through Aline's subterranean world to save the planet. And finally... Contrary to what Dominic called this episode, it is not droids in distress. Oh, it is, right. in fact, no mad droids. <laughs> Thank God somebody's paying attention this week. <laughs> to be honest, I think that's an exemplification of many other fans' reaction towards these arcs. They're yeah. not the most memorable. Anyhow, no mad droids. C-3PO and R2-D2's bizarre caper continues. Forced to escape a separatist attack in a wire-wing fighter, the, droid visits, the droids visit the world of the... I can't even know if I pronounced this right. The Petites, I'm guessing. The the odd planet Balnab and the inside of a pirate warship where they are forced to fight in a gladiatorial arena. So, Dominic, I guess yeah. we usually throw these questions at the start and we'll, and we'll focus on Shadow Warrior. But what was your initial impression of Shadow Warrior? See, I like Shadow Warrior. I, Shadow Warrior is is a good episode in my mind. It, it it's it, it it's a bit rushed. It probably should have been two episodes, but it it's it was entertaining. I, I quite enjoyed it. I I I, I enjoyed this. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed the Jar Jar stuff. Okay, I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed seeing Jar Jar interact with General Grievous, which is something we never thought we'd see. I love this sort of you know mistaken identity thing that goes on with him and Boss Leone, and, and it just did, and and there was some cool some cool action. That, that Dooku Anakin fight was pretty cool. I know a lot of people were kind of getting tired of Dooku versus Anakin at that point, but. I, I objectively, if you know, and on its own, that's a, that's an excellent fight, and it was cool to see the the Gungans take down General Grievous. You know, a reminder that the the Gungans are they're fierce warriors. Um, they're not they're not all like Jar Jar. Uh, so yeah, I, I I like Shadow Warrior. What did you think of it? I, I agree with you. I think a lot of people misconstrue their assessment of this particular episode. This one was negatively received and i'm not particularly sure why well there, there are a couple of contentious issues that I will raise up later which i think downgrades people's view towards this episode but bearing in mind that this is only a standalone there's a lot of action in here and there as you said there's a lot a lot of good stuff good character development particularly with jar jar and you obviously get to see the return of captain tarpaules who in my opinion, was one of the better characters in episode one, and he was a very, very, very well introduced in this episode as well. Got to see a lightsaber fight between Count Dooku and Anakin Skywalker, as you said, General Grievous against the Gung against the Gungan. So there were some action pieces in here which were actually very well executed, and more importantly, as well, I guess, is we get to see the the ramifications of the war on Naboo as a whole. As it says at the beginning, it was a pawn in a dangerous chess game. And I think it was it was interesting to see 
how the war was affecting Naboo, because apart from the blue shadow virus <laughs> arc that we witnessed in, in season one, we never really saw precisely how separatist involvement and the war between the Republican separatists had impacted on relations between the Gungans and the Naboo surface dwellers. I thought that was very, very intriguing. And as I touch upon that point, that was, I think, one of the areas and topics which underwent a lot of scrutiny. For example, we we the, the blockade of Pantora that we witnessed earlier in season three to many directly correlated with the Naboo blockade. So it was seen as quite repetitive. Mm-hmm. But this is the same view that I think a lot of fans take. Does the conflict in your mind, Dominic, between the Gungans and the Naboo surface dwellers really reflect unnecessary repetitiveness or does it actually flesh out the Naboo storyline and make it a little bit more complex and more intriguing? Oh, I absolutely think it makes it more intriguing. You know, we, what we see here is there has there is a, a long history of tension between these two uh, these two groups of people. I, you know, we get a hint of that in episode one uh, that you know they obviously don't like each other, and you know they make peace. But anytime you make peace, there are still going to be people on 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 either side that want to continue the fight and you can bet there are some people in the in the the naboo who think well screw the gungans let's take everything for ourselves and we see here that there are gungans that think no 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 uh screw the naboo we need everything and so it it makes sense it's something that's interesting to revisit and 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 yeah i like that they revisited it i think it 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 makes sense what do you think yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. I think particularly, as you've stated there, that there is a long backstory towards the, I would argue, political tensions between the Naboo surface dwellers and the Gungans. Mm-hmm. As Boss Leone put it at the beginning of the episode, we do not want to be treated as second-rate, second-class citizens anymore. In In the mind of many Gungans, therefore... They see themselves as being, being referred to and classified as inferior to the Naboo surface dwellers and they're not getting the equal rights and equal opportunities that they should be. Yeah. And therefore you can understand where they why there would be a lot of malcontent between the two, the two species, the two races on the same planet. And I think that makes for an intriguing storyline. And as you said, it actually helps flesh it out more because it's a long standing and uh, a, a long-lasting, cru- crucial, I guess, clash between two similar two species on the same planet. And we witnessed this not too long ago when we were talking about the Moncala arc. We can see there are similarities here, can we not, between mm-hmm. the Quarren and the Moncala conflict yeah. and the Gungan and the Boo surface dweller conflict. And I think that is very, very compelling. And rather than demonstrating repetitiveness, it actually fleshes out and expands upon uh, a storyline, making it far more, I guess, intriguing and more complex than has been witnessed in episode one. And of course, the war would have an effect on that. And so I dismiss, I think, a lot of people who have argued that, in fact, this is just repetitiveness. We don't need to go down here again. What are we doing this for? 
Um, and so I just think, you know what? I, it, it really helps to flesh out the storyline. And in reality, this is not repetitive. This is actually a different storyline. And, and to make clear, this is based upon the Kurosawa story, Shadow Warrior. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of interlinkage with that plot rather than episode one. Yeah, in my book, I don't know if you. Agree oh yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I I think it's it's important to keep going back to these, and this is just this is the, another one of the Clone Wars famous uh, episodes that that's a, a reference to a movie. You know, we saw that with another Kurosawa film with the uh, Seven Seven Samurai being retold as uh, bounty hunters, which was great, and I I love that they make these sort of nods to the history of cinema. Absolutely, and to well-established iconic. Cine, uh filmographers, I would say, directors. Oh, yeah. And I think that that's something which should be revered and respected. Yeah. And linking on to that, we're talking about how this this episode was based upon the premise of Kurosawa's Shadow Warrior. A lot of contention and debate surrounded the notion of appointing a new boss, <laughs> a new Gungan leader, Boss Lione who had seemingly come out of nowhere. Boss Nass, to many people, was the the hegemon, the authority, the leader of the Gungans. And and Brian Blessed's voice as well just gave him that added booming authority that would make people take him seriously. Boss Leone, not so much. A lot of people, (laughs) a lot of fans were not, let's say, they weren't pleased at the fact that this, this... Gungan had been appointed as a new leader. And I'd be interested to hear, Dominic, what are your <laughs> thoughts? Did, did, have they changed over time? Uh, can you accept the fact that Boss Leone is the new leader? And whilst we see Boss Nass, don't forget, in episode three at the funeral, he is not the leader of the Gungans at the time. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fine. I mean, I, I think back to 10 years ago, did, 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 did you know, America, America didn't have the same president. Canada didn't. Actually, no. Ten years ago, it would have been Paul Martin. No, we didn't have the same prime minister. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure uh, England has changed prime ministers over the. Uh, we have indeed over the past ten years. So it makes sense. I mean, it's it's logical that over over time that boss boss Nass would would step aside, and you know, leaders don't always sound the smartest. Case in point, George W. Bush. Uh, you know, <laughs> let's let's be honest. Let's be honest. Didn't sound, he, he, Boss Leone is the George W. Bush of the Gungan Society. <laughs> <laughs> we found it. Oh, oh, I'm pissing off so many people, but it's true. <laughs> it's Christmas, I don't care. <laughs> Happy holidays. Happy everyone. holidays. Yeah, exactly. Happy holidays. Um, but yeah, yeah, so I, I, you know, it's fine by me. I, I, I think it's, it's, you know, it makes sense that they would change, change leaders and, you know, there are, and I, I, I find the the character I really found interesting was this this Richelieu guy who who's, uh, who's mm. named name seems to uh, bring up the imagery of of you know three musketeers and 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 you know actual historical people. Um, and, and I thought he was very interesting. I, I don't know what would you think of of boss boss Leone and uh, and old Richelieu there. Yeah, I'm one of very intriguing characters, and yeah, and I think I think it's it frustrates me when fans, in particular, get it irked about the fact that there are a change of characters and 
that it's not all the same. That what, what, for example, they, they see that Boss Nass is alive in episode three, and as you said, they immediately think that he must have been leader for episode one to episode yeah. three. And when it's not, oh, it seems like all hell breaks loose. <laughs> and people are like, well, I don't want to watch this anymore. Boss Leone, who's this guy? It didn't even sound like he should be a Gungan leader. But it just adds complexion to the storyline. And don't forget, the whole premise of the Kurosawa Shadow Warrior episode is, in principle, that Jar Jar is to be mistaken and disguised as a leader of the Gungans. Well, let's be honest. Is he really going <laughs> to be mistaken as Boss Nass? I don't think so. I really don't. I have a hard time believing that. So you have to have someone new in there. And as you've rightly said, Dominic, in our society today, many leaders' terms last for about three to five years. Yeah. For England, it's every five years. I think for the United States, it's every four years. Uh, yep. How much is it in Canada? I, I'm not sure. It's, it's <laughs> four. It's four or five. See, we had so many. We had so many elections right after another after each other for a while there that I, I kind of the actual. This is the first like actual term that we're sort of coming to the end to here. So I'm not exactly sure how long it was. I think it was four years. I think four years is the is the uh, is the way we go. Yeah, we have to do everything just like America. So yeah. <laughs> Just follow suit, my friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, ex- I, the point that we're making here is the fact that clearly a term spanning from three to five or four to five years, clearly someone's going to have to be replaced at some point. Yeah. And I know for presidents, they have a they're allowed to have they're allowed to hold office for a maximum of two terms, which mm-hmm. is eight years. And therefore, they might have something similar tradition set in stone for the gungans you you don't know that but the point is we have this boss leone character and and granted he wasn't my favorite character he wasn't the most interesting great (laughs) really well i'm not sure i'm not sure i would go that no no i elaborate then why no no i I just i just thought he was funny i I just thought it it was you know it's this this episode is weird because it on the one hand it shows the gungans as as the warriors trying to shake their reputation of all being like jar jar and yet they all kind of act like jar jar in this episode i mean other except when they're fighting you know boss leone like i said George W. Bush, um, and and um, and then you know Cardinal Richelieu doesn't seem like that smart a dude either. And like all the Gungans are like standing around getting ready to march on Theed, and then Jar Jar walks up <laughs> dressed as Boss Leone. He's like, ah, I took a thought. We said not going to do that. And all the Gungans are like, sounds reasonable. And they're not going to march on Theed. It's like if you're about to to march on a city, I don't know. I I would think you need a little bit more than yeah, no an explanation for why you're not going to do it um <laughs> it was just not gonna happen and as you said there were like 10 or 12 gungans there <laughs> how much damage were they really going to do hey, unless they, there was something hiding in the back they, 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 they that was that was just the first wave they were they were going to come <laughs> in there and and, and take them down uh. <laughs> they were they were akin to the Republic Commandos. I'm guessing they were yes, the elite. Yeah. They were the, they were the Gungan Commandos. There's a oh. spin-off film for you. Oh <gasps> yeah. Get Ahmed Love Best. That idea, then. Ahmed Best as like as, as Jar Jar in is these leaders of the uh of the Gungan uh special forces that are that work for the rebellion. That's it's either a great spin-off film or a great arc in Rebels. 
Um, yes. Now, in fairness, it would be quite intriguing to see the Gungans in Rebels. Yeah. I think I think they could definitely fit into there, and I, I would see them as being resistant towards the Empire. I think we well, we got a glimpse of that, really, didn't we, in Episode 6, when they were all cheering at the end. Of we're the, so the, free! <laughs> exactly, the fact that the Empire was no more and had dissolved. So, yeah, I think it, no, it's not a bad shout, actually. Yeah. But, yeah, I think I think the premise of this story, it, it, was, it was quite intriguing. And the, the Richelieu character, as you were saying, we go back to Bostonian Richelieu here, I thought he was quite intriguing, actually. And in fairness to to, to Lou, <laughs> I don't know Lou. if you want to be away <laughs> like that, but in fairness to Richelieu, he did have some strong ambitions, though. Yeah. He intended to become a member of the separatist council that was his ultimate ambition and that's you know aduku says well you, you will be most influential so clearly that that was something that that Richelieu had in mind and yeah that reminds yeah that kind of reminded me of, of what was going on with old Noserai in the in the Moncala arc you know he's you know he's being told yes you will be a, an important part, part of the separatist alliance and then Rift Tamsin t- takes over as you that seems to be the separatist play that seems to be their thing You're like oh yeah yeah you'll be really important oh yes yes and then as soon as they they get what they want oh whoops lightsaber through your back <laughs> or oops your head has been bit off uh but anyways, sorry. Uh, that's true, actually. No, 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 that's true, actually. That's, that's demonstrates the manipulation of the separatists. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Else. Absolutely. Uh, particularly when you had General Grievous and his horde show up and, as you said, looking immediately to implement separatist role, yeah. rule on the Gungans. And I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll touch upon General Grievous now. I think that's quite an apt transition there. Sure. General Grievous fighting the Gungans. Mm-hmm. And this is intriguing. And... and we can also touch upon the whole Bostioni Grievous scene if you want to in, in a second. <laughs> but I, I do want to touch upon this fight because, again, for what was quite, I don't, actually I don't want to say it's a lighthearted episode, but for a standalone, there were a lot of contentious quarrels surrounding a lot of the themes raised here. And one of them particularly was by, was, was the fact that General Grievous was seemingly bested quite easily by about four or five Gungans. Uh-huh. Now, we'll take it as it is, and it's happened. You can't argue that fact. We've seen it, and it's canon. Uh-huh. But what I'd be more intrigued about is, on your in your opinion, is, well, first of all, you could, you could say what your thoughts are yeah. about the fight. But also, do you think this actually demonstrates a weakness of General Grievous, or rather, strength of the Gungans? Is that, which, which element do you think we should really be focusing upon here? Uh both to be perfectly honest i, I think it's it, it both are, are valid things to bring up uh for one uh you know you, you look at grievous and we see lightsabers and we think oh well that must mean he's super powerful no he doesn't have the force he's basically he's a sword fighter with a fancy sword um and his his move is to either be uh is to is to overpower one person you know, when he kills a Jedi, he doesn't kill four Jedi. He doesn't fight four Jedi and kill them all like we saw in the micro series. We, uh, he, he kills one Jedi and he kills them one on one. And, and he does that because he has four arms and four lightsabers. And even if you are a Jedi Knight, having four laser swords being swung at you, even if it isn't without 
even if it is done without the force, is still, you know, a challenge. And Grievous does have some skill as a, as a fighter. So his his thing is to overpower someone. And when he can't get them alone, ideally what he really wants is to have a whole bunch of droids with him, like we saw in Revenge of the Sith when he fights Obi-Wan. He, he stands up to Obi-Wan uh, because he can pull out his four lightsabers and have a whole whack of battle droids surrounding them. And as soon as the clones show up, Grievous runs. Grievous runs as soon as his backup has been, has basically, is now distracted, he runs. So, you put him in this situation up against a whole bunch of other warriors who are also skilled with sword-esque weapons. I mean, they have those kind of spear things. And they basically turn the tables on Grievous. They surround him. Grievous doesn't have an out here. And so they throw the boombas at him and they're, they're using the, using their, their swords to, to fight him. And they're able to, 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 they basically, yeah, they, they pulled a Grievous on Grievous and they outnumbered him and as a result they beat him and they captured him and it was, and that speaks to the skill of the Gungans and also to, you know, Grievous, how Grievous is, uh, play, how he, how he he tries to work and when he can't work in his ideal situation, you know, his, his usual thing is to run and, and this was a case where he couldn't run. Uh, you know, as soon as, absolutely. Yeah, like I said, as soon as the clones show up in episode three, he runs. He doesn't. He doesn't stick around. Well, precisely. And that's that's a very very good point you raised there. Actually, the fact that General Grievous manages to best many of his opponents based on outnumbering them, and when he doesn't have the numbers at his side or at his at his back, then he's quite fragile and quite weak. Mm-hmm. And as you said, he's not a force user. He has skills with a blade, with a lightsaber, but he is not a force user, and therefore there will always be detriments. There will always be a detriment to his sword play, as it were, and his skills with a blade, as witnessed when non-force users grab a hold of these things. You can see that with Cad Bane, if you remember that in the Hunt for Zero episode, when he briefly had... Oh, he had occupied Quinlan Voss's lightsaber yeah. fighting with Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan bested him in about 10 seconds. Yeah. And that's what you would expect. General Grievous has more skill than that. But again, against another for, a, a sword user, um, a sword wielder, then you got a different, a different story there. And he did best a couple of them. So, you know, he, he did, he did give it his all. But as you said, with Boombers and Captain Tarples as well, courage and bravery, bearing in mind it was his sacrifice that certainly expedited Grievous's downfall when he stabs him with that spear and then everyone else just, all the other Gungans just start throwing boomers at him. I thought it was very believable actually, very yeah. authentic. And although a lot of people will look and think, oh, well, General Grievous is supposed to be this great separatist supreme commander of the droid army and he's being being defeated by a couple of Gungans. Well, as you said, let's not demote and and downplay the Gungans here. They are fierce, ferocious warriors. And we saw that in episode one. And we've seen that again here as they were able to outfox Grievous and his his droid army by -hmm. managing to switch them all off effectively. And I think that is something which should not be underplayed and underlooked, really. It's definitely something which was more of strategic shrewdness on the, on the Gungans' part more than anything else. And so, yeah, it's definitely a combination, I think, of Grievous and 
Grievous's weakness and perhaps cockiness, a bit of arrogance, and also Gungan's strength, ferocity, and skill as warriors. Yeah. So I think that's very intriguing. Also, I don't know if you want to briefly touch perhaps on both Captain Tarpaul's demise and maybe that scene with Boss Leone and, and, and Grievous. Perhaps you have any thoughts on that before I, I move on? Yeah. Uh, I, well, I, I, for one, the, the Grievous Jar Jar scene was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> um, it was, it was, uh, so well, so well done. Uh, it was so, so funny. Just Jar Jar playing with his chair and trying to distract Boss Leone. Um, uh, that was that was yeah that was really well done and the, the demise of Tarpaul it was, it was sad you know we see a, a an established movie character going down in the series so you know nobody is safe nobody is safe you know and th- that's the thing you know in order to capture Grievous there had to be a sacrifice and that's why it had to be uh, had to be Tarpaul's had to be Tarpaul's well, it was definitely a good character to choose because although he only as I said this I think this was this was his first appearance in the Clone Wars if I'm correct. I don't uh, believe we've seen him before. He was briefly in the the one before. Okay, so yeah, but ever so briefly. I mean, in this one, he he played a far more vocal, and yeah. visible role, I would say, than many of the other episodes. And yet, he was off in 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 the same episode where he played quite a pivotal role. Which I I guess you should assume in the Clone Wars because <laughs> they're not going to have much screen time for many of these characters. So if one has to bite the dust, so be it. But it. As you said, it, I think it was quite a dramatic impact. And if, if fans watching this, younger generations who have seen episode one, they, they, they would have felt something about Captain Tarpaul's because as, as I'd alluded to before, I believe that he was one of the, one of the more intriguing characters and, and I guess, you know, characters that, that were, that you could enjoy more, more than anything else. And, and no one really had any qualms, I believe, with Tarpaul's in episode one. He showed himself to be a competent, strong leader. Mm-hmm. That was something which many would often polarize with Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> uh, he was often used as a measuring tool, I think. You look at Captain Tarpaul's and, and Jar Jar. Again, I think it, it really, it comes transparent the fact that not all not all species are exactly the same. They're everyone's individual, individual personalities, idiosyncratic, and and Tarpaul's, in my opinion, exemplifies that fact that not every Gungan is like Jar Jar. Yeah. But anyhow, moving away from Tarpaul's, it was it was a very tragic demise. In my mind, echoes of when Ninety Nine mm-hmm. passed away. Very sad. But Grievous gets captured, so he's been apprehended now by by the Gungans, and we see a hologram transmission. A, between Count Dooku and Darth Sidious in the, in the third part of this arc. And Darth Sidious directly states, General Grievous plays a critical part in the Clone War, and he wants Dooku to liberate him. Yep. So, in my mind, it might only be a short answer, but clearly foreshadowing what oh, yeah. happened in Episode 3. Totally. Clearly the fact that, uh, it, you know, Grievous was to play a, a very crucial role in the in the Clone Wars. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely foreshadowing. Uh, and it shows just how far out Sidious plans these things. He's, he's, got a, he's got a grand plan to become Emperor, and uh, who knows what he planned after that. I love the dramatic irony of this as well, because obviously for General Grievous to play such a critical part in the Clone War, someone's got to bite the dust. 
Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and it just happens to be the person that he's actually talking to <laughs> and telling him about. Yeah. So I love that part that uh, Dooku is clearly unbeknownst to the fact that there is a particular reason why General Grievous will play such a fundamentally crucial role in the Clone War, which I just thought was, was great to hear. And another thing as well that I, I don't know whether I might be misreading this, but Darth Sidious alludes as well to the Padme and Anakin relationship. And he says, you know, Count Dooku states, how can you be sure that trading Anakin Skywalker for General Grievous is going to be successful? Why would the Republic agree to those terms? And then, <laughs> and then you hear Darth Sidious say, I am sure Senator Amidala would gladly agree to your terms. Yeah. And well, I just love the subtle subtlety there with Darth Sidious. Yeah, jump in, Dominic. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, last time we talked about pa- Padme and Anakin on, on Moncala being on their best behavior. So here we sort of see them on their worst behavior. You know, I mean, there's, uh, there's Anakin. Anakin gets captured and Padme basically sacrifices Grievous. Uh, to get Anakin back, you know, they could have, they could have easily re- ha- had some co- sort of rescue mission, you know, do, get Obi Wan and Ahsoka in there, and they would have gone on, gone off, and then moved heaven and earth to find, to find a- Anakin. Um, and instead, she makes this trade based on advice from Jar Jar, and <laughs> and it, yeah, it's really it was a it was a, a poor decision. It was a a um. A moment of weakness in her character, and it was, you know, that they could have, this moment could have changed a lot of things. You know, it would have been almost would have been cool to have a second episode of, you know, maybe, uh, Dooku going to rescue Grievous while Anakin, or while Obi-Wan and Ahsoka go to rescue Anakin. You know, it could have, we could have done something interesting like that. But, uh, you know, that's neither here nor there. You know, we're not here to rewrite these episodes. Uh, we're here to talk about them as they are. And, uh, you know, it was a moment of weakness for Padme. And it was, yeah, like I said, uh, bad behavior for Anakin and Padme. Uh, <laughs> they both need a timeout. <laughs> well, no, it, as you said there, it, it displays how attachment Pat, and, the, the, and the close relationship between Padme and Anakin has affected the Republic in a negative way once again. Anakin inadvertently, of course, he was captured and... And played as a pawn by the Sith, but yeah, his well, his you, and, and his yeah. relationship with Padme yeah. is one of the reasons why she accepted the trade. And as you said, it could have it could have turned the tide of the war. Had General Grievous been captured and sent to the Republic or killed, Sidious's plan wouldn't have been in ruin, but it would there would have been a, a huge blow and a, and a huge vacuum which Sidious would have to fill as yeah. a result. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was, this was interesting, uh, this, this dynamic in this episode, because usually what we see is we see Anakin kind of making the, uh, the bold decisions to go and rescue Padme instead of, uh, instead of doing what's probably right, what Obi-Wan thinks is right. And in this episode, we kind of see Padme doing the same thing for him. And, you know, again, it just kind of, it was just kind of an interesting twist on what we're used to seeing. Absolutely, absolutely, and and the final point I'm gonna I'm going to raise for these, and if you have any more after Dominic, feel free to feel free to jump in, is the the Dooku Anakin fight, and I always enjoy these conflicts, these lightsaber duels, and it's for the principal reason that 
there is actually a purpose behind them. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people forget that. A Dooku Anakin lightsaber duel to many is just for aesthetic value. And a lot of people get a bit grumpy about it because, like, well, they, they only fate, they're supposed to, when Anakin says, my powers have doubled since the last time we've met in episode three. A lot of people there are thinking, well, why are they meeting so many times in the Clone Wars? I mean, this is ridiculous. This, this is folly. I don't agree with it. And all of that nonsense, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> not, not the thoughts of everyone here on the podcast, but it's my <laughs> one. Um, and so I, I enjoy it because I think we have alluded to this before, haven't we, Dominic, that the Dooku Anakin jewels are really a test. And it's a test set by the Sith, set by Darth Sidious. It is the apprentice against another, what he would hope to be a dark force user or, or a, a, a soon to be apprentice. He's been grooming Anakin from the beginning. And that is the ultimate test for Anakin. Once he, well, when and if he can triumph over Dooku and defeat him, kill him, then he can ascend and assume the mantle of Darth Sidious's apprentice. So I think in this, in this particular duel, You'd wonder which way it would have gone had the Magna Guards not been there. Because mm. I saw at the end of that duel, Dooku let an exaltation of breath there. He was a little bit worn out from this. Yeah. It took quite a bit out of him to actually apprehend Skywalker. So I don't know if uh, maybe I'm misreading it, but what did, what did you make of the whole whole duel and, and of course, the idea that Sidious is testing Anakin. Yeah, well, I, the duel. I, I agree with everything you said about about Dooku Anakin duels. I think they're they're sort of the barometer for where Anakin is, and they're a testing ground for Sidious to see, uh, you know, you know, when Anakin is able to kill Dooku, that is the moment that he realizes, okay, it's time to spring the trap. Uh, and and yeah, so I, I I agree wholeheartedly about that. And yeah, it was a it was a close deal. This it, Anakin is you know we can tell we're starting to get towards the end of the war. Anakin's powers are are getting up there. Um, and and uh, but my favorite my favorite part. And I'm sorry if this is one of your quotes, but you know when Dooku says you know when Anakin asks or Dooku says something about you know the war began here. Uh, you know, you forget you forget that the war began here long ago, or ten years ago. I, I just love that because I love tying back the events of Episode One into what happens in in two and three. Because there's there's this ridiculous notion that you can skip Episode One and still get the complete story, uh, which is absolutely not true. Uh, and because I, I, I remember when I was a kid reading the junior novelization of Revenge of the Sith, and there was a a a, a bit in there about uh, you know. This, the, that sort of laid out how everything from episode one to episode three works, you know, Obi-Wan sort of realizing it. And I remember sort of going, Oh my God, that's, that's brilliant. I didn't realize that's how it all connected. This is genius. Uh, and, and so I, I quite like it anytime they, they put little hints like that in there in the show. Absolutely. And, and there is another allusion actually in a quote that you've, you've raised it. It's actually quite a big one and how it all interlinks and interconnects. And in that same quote, Dooku says, the Sith control everything, you just don't know it. Mm. And it's, (laughs) once again, once again, the Sith imparting the truth on the Jedi, and the Jedi refusing to believe it, refusing to believe the Sith. It's all a lie, shrouded in lies and and, uh, corruption. I can't remember exactly the the quote that Yoda says at the end of Episode 2, but he clearly enunciates the fact that 
Count Dooku and all of the Sith, they're lying. They're treacherous. We don't want to believe in what they have to say, yet they're laying it out in front of them. And if they just listened to what the Sith had to say, they would find out who is the powerful Sith Lord that they have actually been looking for. And also, I, I find it intriguing that, as you said, he talks about the Naboo was the start of all of this, which clearly demonstrates that Dooku was somehow involved around that time. We get allusions to it in the Darth Plagueis novel, but you just wonder how how much do, that Sidious had, had courted Dooku at that moment and, and whether he had disclosed a lot of his scheming and plans at mm-hmm. that same time, which is very intriguing. As we always say, Dooku's past is something which really needs to be explored. It's very, very captivating topic. I don't know if you would agree with that, Dominic. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Any, anyhow, I think, have you got any final thoughts to add on to, on to Shadow Warrior? Any topics you want to bring up? No, let's, uh, let's move on to Mercy Mission and, uh, and have some a- fun. <laughs> absolutely. We got the two part droid art. So what, what we'll do is we'll, we'll come at, at the end of the, the two part droid art, give our final quotes, final thoughts and round it up like that. But we're moving on now from shadow warrior to the two part droid art mercy mission mm-hmm. and nomad droids, not droids in distress as Dominic had said at the beginning, but nomad droids that the most memorable of the droid arcs, of course, <laughs> not that there were too many to be fair. Yeah. And anyhow, we'll, we'll, we'll start off then uh, not just Mercy Mission, but both Mercy Mission and Nomad Droids, as they are interlinked, and they are an arc, because there are clear connections between the two episodes. What do you, what were your initial thoughts on the, this two-part droid arc, and has it amended over time? I, yeah, I, I they, this, these two constitute, unfortunately, probably my two, uh, they're, they're in my bottom t- bottom five bottom ten uh episodes I, I did not particularly care for them there's there's some interesting stuff in there but uh you know i i, I you know when when george says uh you know in the original trilogy in the original trilogy nobody liked 3po i never got that I- I- until the clone wars came around <laughs> um I, I you know i i love 3po but uh you know, uh, 22 minutes of him basically nonstop, uh, kind of started to, to grade on me. And, and, uh, you know, I, I'm happy to watch plenty of R2. And, you know, when we got to the, 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 the young Jedi arc in season five and we had R2 and, and Huang together, that was kind of, that was kind of almost a breath of fresh air because it was different, uh, from the 3PO R2 relationship. It was similar, but different. It, and, and, and so, yeah, I, I don't particularly care for these episodes. I, um, the whole riddle thing, uh, the clones being and clones just being jerks. Um, and then, then just kind of the randomness of the next adventure where, it, you know, I mean, there's a place for that kind of stuff, I guess, of, of just kind of the randomness. But I, I don't know. I think when we, when we're dealing with Star Wars, we want stories that, that either impact the characters or impact the the galaxy or or, or impact the, or that have an impact and and these ones just didn't feel like they did they felt like none of the characters grew uh you know we we it, we, we this was just kind of a rehash of everything we know about C3PO and R2D2 so yeah not not my not my favorite episodes to be perfectly honest and then sadly that has not changed how about how about you what what do you, what do you think <laughs> I think 
at the time, I was completely in your camp. I did not enjoy these episodes at all. I thought personally they were a waste of time, as you said. They didn't they didn't add anything of real significance to the overall Clone Wars storyline, and so for me it was a, it was frustrating. Particularly after I didn't I didn't mind Shadow Warrior, but that wasn't my favorite episode either, and it, it was bogging down a bit. And you just wanted a, some good action, some some great storyline to be to be told really and we hadn't really got that but in hindsight when i look back at it i actually which i might be in a minority here but i don't mind these episodes too much i actually think they're very light-hearted uh, they're quite easy going and and quite jovial yeah, and, and, and i know we're in the context of a war situation here but sometimes that's necessary to break up quite a dark and disturbing season in what I would call season four because when you look at the later arcs that we have of the Umbara and we have the Zygerian, the Reiko Hardeen and Darth Maul, I mean, it's, that's bang, 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 bang. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but I think a break is needed sometimes and, we, and we've had that in Rebels, which has worked quite well, I would say. Mm-hmm. However, I would argue where it has been placed in the overall season is not so great. Had this been placed after the Umbara or the Sigerian arc, just before the Mandalorian arc maybe, then perhaps you would have got a better reaction because it would have been a bit of a break, in my opinion. However, whether you should have two episodes dedicated to just a C-3PO R2-D2 storyline <laughs> is debatable. Well, maybe not debatable. Maybe there is an easy answer to that and probably is a no. But I, 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 when I was watching them, it wasn't necessarily engrossing me. Uh, you know, for example, when I when I've watched the, the Mortis trilogy or the Citadel, the Night Sisters, you know, I've been focused on the screen. Even though I've been trying to write notes, I've just been focused on what I'm watching. It wasn't it wasn't like that. But when I watched it again with, without writing it, because I, I usually watch these a couple of times before, I, I it didn't I didn't find myself wanting to switch it off. I thought there was actually some funny moments in there. Uh, there was some good interaction between the clones and the droids. And the storyline was quite amusing as well. You see C-3PR to D2 they're going to all these different planets. So after the Alina episode I'm talking about, Nomad droids, don't, I quite like that. There's a, there's a little bit of uh, you know, war background. Uh, there are clear parallels to some of the original trilogy, particularly the the droids in the in the corridor of a star destroyer, and obviously that was the same in the opening of Episode Four. I thought that was very cool. But yeah, of course, I'm not gonna I'm not going to sit here and say this is one of my favourite arcs ever. But yeah, if I was going to compare this to say the Manda Manda Bore episodes, then I actually think that these are these are better than notes, and I. I think as an arc on its own, it's not the greatest, but as an arc in season four, I don't think it's the worst thing. And so that's quite a long-winded initial impressions there. But the point is, I want to say that at the time, yeah, I didn't have a care in the world for these. But as I look back, I can appreciate them a lot more for what they were and what the purpose was. It was lighthearted. It was for a younger generation. And actually, I think that these these were actually okay episodes, but... That's that's my take on the whole 
droids arc and i'm sure we'll we'll come into blows a little bit later in this in the rest of this podcast folks but we'll we'll, we'll try and keep it clean so moving on to the beginning of mercy mission then and this is quite an interesting interesting point i think anyway it's not related to r2 or c3po um i don't know how many of these questions are actually if i'm being honest <laughs> there's not too much you could talk about them but we had the beginning you had the hologram between Padme Yoda and Commander Wolf, and they're obviously discussing the mission at hand and, and what Wolf has got to do. But what I thought was interesting is that, to, to set up the stage here, Alina has been attacked by this, these natural disasters that have erupted on its home world, and the Republic have been sent on a relief mission. And Yoda says to Commander Wolf, and Commander Wolf also insinuates it before, that, that they need to return to the war. Yoda explicitly states, with hope leave them, but return to the war, you must. And Commander Wolf says, Plo Koon needs reinforcements. Now, I'm just wondering, is this another illustration of the Jedi losing their way, as it were? Would you imagine that the Jedi would have taken the same attitude a decade ago? There are people who are in need of help in relief, but ultimately... The war is their focus. I don't. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe I'm being a little bit too harsh, um, and maybe I'm just being a bit too philanthropic. But I don't know. What, what do you think, Dominic? What, what do you? What did you take upon that? Oh, I, yeah. I think that's a, that's a valid point. Um, you know, I I think that in a perfect world, you know, that Yoda would much rather just do missions like this. I think this is what he thinks the Jedi should be doing, uh, and it probably is. Um, but they're kind of in this this situation where the Jedi have given up on everything that they believe what they believe in, and as a result, they have uh, they have sacrificed their morals, and so they have to continue fighting this war even when they don't really want to. To be perfectly honest, uh, you know they they you know and I guess maybe this is them doing this and having the clones do this is that them trying to. Keep their, uh, you know, keep their their ideals alive for a little bit longer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In fairness to them, they are performing a a good deed, as yeah. it were, Mor- morally and honourably. They are aiding them. They're assisting them as best as they can. They don't necessarily have to intervene on behalf of the Alina, but they do have more pressing, urgent objectives at at hand here. If, if they were to, I guess, completely abandon their principles, then they wouldn't even consider aiding the Alina. They would, they would be in communication, and after they've heard about the disaster, would say, well, unfortunately, Plo Koon needs reinforcements. We cannot offer any aid at this point. Head over to Plo Koon immediately. And they don't, they don't do that. They, they say they need to be quick, but, Mm-hmm. They try and fit in as best as they can time to aid and alleviate the 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 disaster that has beheld the Alina. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I think, yeah, they are doing still a moral duty. But, of course, it is interesting to see that subtly you can see how the war as a priority is undermining the Jedi Code ever so steadily, ever so slowly. And they're not even noticing it, which I just think was... Was quite fascinating, actually. Even though this you know, arc had really nothing to do with with the war, it was a R two T two C three PO story. Even the subtle hints like that just make it interesting in my book to 
to interlink everything together. Anyhow, moving on to the story at hand. We are on the planet Aline. This is a new planet. We've never never seen this before. So just in general, Dominic, what did you make of the Alina? Um, perhaps you can see parallels with the Ewoks in episode six. So yeah. what, what are your thoughts on them? Yeah, they were just, they were just kind of a cute little alien creature. And, uh, you know, nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, they're clearly primitive, but, you know, they're, they're getting things set up. They have some kind of computer technology. I mean, that's what R2 and 3PO were there for. And, you know, it, it was, it was interesting to see. Uh, you know, the whole, the whole plot of the episode was 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 strange, but I, I don't mind visiting new planets and seeing new cultures. And we we know that some of them are are quite technically proficient. We saw one of them pod racing in episode one. So yeah, yeah, I quite like I quite like to you know anytime we get to go to a new planet, I, I enjoy. Um, if, except in the next episode when it kind of got a bit too much. Well, even then, even then, I, I do like going to see see the new planets. I just like there to be a a good story to go with it. But uh, as for the culture of the Elena, I thought it, it made sense. I, you know, again, going based on the fact that we'd seen a pod racer in episode one, I would have thought they'd be a little bit more technically, technologically proficient, but you know, maybe that, maybe that guy was, was the, you know, he was the exception. He was the one guy that, that made it off the planet and, and got to go live his dream of being blown up in the Boonty Eve classic. <laughs> <laughs> Although there are clearly some, there was some technology on that planet. It wasn't completely primitive. Otherwise, yeah. when, when obviously when the clones and R2-D2 went into that communications tower, they had no – clearly Lena had no idea how to fix it. But it was there, wasn't it? It was situated on their planet. And so, as you said, they are, clearly aren't technologically you know, proficient or, or gifted in any knowledge of that area. But I, I could see how in episode one there would be some who would, when they leave the planet, be able to you know, perform a pod racing task or, um, I don't know, work with Ugnaughts making a carbon freeze chamber. I don't know what these people do, but, <laughs> you know, I, I could see that happening. Um, but, yeah, I, I actually enjoyed the Alina. I thought they were very interesting characters. And as I said, I saw parallels with the Ewoks, and they were quite... Uh, minuscule and quite diminutive and and they were quite funny i think as well they were very comical and it, it worked when you're doing an r2d2 and c3po episode it's hardly going to be serious let's be honest so yeah, i think characters akin to the alina really were excellent excellently executed i really enjoyed them. i thought they were as I said, they were they were very humorous, particularly the interaction between the Alina and the clones, because the clones had no way of understanding what they were saying a lot of the time. And then it was just the the juxtaposition of of clone clone commander Wolf just being quite compassionate and and sorry that he couldn't understand, and then he just got really frustrated because he didn't know what they were saying and said, "Well, we're just here to build an outpost." So Care about their religion or whatever, yeah. as they they were trying their best. Commander to... Wolf is a jerk. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what. It's interesting you mentioned Commander Wolf because that was the next thing I was going to move on to, I and mean, that's the clone troopers in these episodes. Now their disposition and their their interaction, particularly with the Alina, but also the droids, it seemed. Do I want to say out of character, or really in character? And and this is the way that. The clones would treat seemingly inferior 
races and and droids of course many to them are just are just a tool um yeah. but also they're fighting a lot of droids so clearly in their minds droids aren't going to be their biggest fans anyway regardless of whether they're a public or not so i'd yeah what would, what would you justify as the reason and explanation for as you've quite quite fittingly termed there the the jerk jerkiness i guess of the, of the clones why were they so so mean and 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 horrible to, and to these to these aliens to these sentients yeah no it was they, they i think it's it, it's the fact that that the the clones they want to fight the war that's what they're they were bred for and as, as a result anytime they're asked to do something separate they they may not they, they may resent it a little bit and that's not that's not all the clones some of the uh some of the other clones some clones like waxer and boyle we saw are, are willing to uh well even between waxer and boyle one of them i can't i can't i can't tell them apart they all look the same to me um <laughs> uh one of them like wanted to leave nuna and the other one wanted to take her and so we had that that same yeah, or that that sort of that this idea that the clones they want to fight the war and as you said at the beginning, you know, Commander Wolf is saying he, he wants to get back to the fight and this for them is just a distraction from doing what they think they're supposed to do. Uh whereas the Jedi think that this is what they're supposed to be doing. And so it's a little bit of a clash between between cultures almost, between the Jedi culture and the clone culture. And of course Jedi culture wins out because clones have to obey their their every order. So uh yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think that, that, that explains it, but, you know, I mean, there's always, this, there's always been this, like, cult following of Commander Wolf that I never understood. <laughs> I never understood. He, he looks cool, but he doesn't do anything. Just a jerk to King Munchucho, so. <laughs> In fairness, this is a, this is the first time as well that we're talking about these, the Commander Wolf Brigade, <laughs> as it were, that, that we see the clones in new armor. I, I believe. I mean, we vaguely saw in the Water War episode on the on the gunship one particular clone, but we've seen whole battalions, and we see Commander Wolf with his new helmet. And I thought it was really, really cool. Actually, the whole change in design was superbly, superbly executed, in my opinion. I think it looks exquisite, to be honest. Mm. Aesthetically, it looks so, so. I guess I want to use what's the word to use. I guess polished and fresh and new. I think that was something that was was yeah. It was, it was very very cool to see for the for the first time. And although it's a shame it couldn't have been used in a war situation and it had to be used <laughs> in quite um, a seemingly you know don't quote me on this but a waste a waste of time. But it's uh, it it certainly was it was cool to see the new animation and design elements and. How the Clone Wars team is continuously developing its animation. I mean, I mean, in Venice, there was that one shot right at the beginning of the episode when that Republic cruiser is orbiting the planet, and you can see the the sun rising on the exterior in around the exterior of that planet, which I thought was an absolute gorgeous spectacle. To be fair, and again, it looked live action, and I think if, whenever I state that, or if I have ever stated that before, then it's the biggest compliment that one can give for an animated series. I think it looks top notch. I'll say that much. And the final point I want to make on Mercy Mission before we we have a couple more points with Nomad Droids. 
Orphney. Okay, we see the Orphney <laughs> frog creature character. Ma- this magical, mystical character who many have labelled as being Disney-fied, particularly at the time. Um, what, what, what did you make of her character? Dave Filoni in his featurette mentioned that she wasn't a Force user, but she was in tune with the Force and in nature in a similar way to Mother Towson. Mm-hmm. She was not a wielder of the Force akin to the Sith or Jedi. Uh, I, I, what, what did you make of this strange and quite surreal individual who was introduced to us? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I didn't. I, <laughs> You're going to say you didn't care. I know. Well, I, I mean, she's there just kind of to give this 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 little riddle. Um, for her to, to to figure it out, and and I guess you know her way of traveling is kind of reminiscent of Mother Talzin, so maybe that's something in her her species DNA that is sort of an ability that may very well come from the Force. So I, I that's an interesting idea, um, but I, I I don't I don't know I just I, I can't say uh, it uh, you know I, she didn't she didn't leave really an, an impact on me other than. She was there for a few seconds, and and you know she looked kind of cool. <laughs> and then we had the the riddle and R two pouring the water and three PO, you know, trying to take credit for it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. What did you think of Orphney? Yeah, she she was an okay character, she, but she was more of a tool or an instrument to develop the storyline. We never really saw any of her species or herself ever again, to be honest. The same way that we never saw those trees again, did we? Those no. talking trees. No, they seemed, <laughs> even with their booming voices, and I, I thought to myself, oh, gosh, we've got Ents in the Star Wars universe now, but <laughs> it never really came into fruition that way. We never never ever saw them again. So, again, it was, it was a bit of an underplayed opportunity there. Although I thought was interesting in that scene, though, was when C-3PO tells R2-D2 to replay that recording. I didn't know that R2-D2 was recording every single yeah, time. But had, how did that work? I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, that, that is interesting. You know, I, I, there, there's been ideas in the, in the, that have been suggested that may have come from George that, you know, uh, the, the story of Star Wars is actually everything that R2 recorded, uh, and he's telling the story to someone. Uh, so that that could be a little nod Intriguing. to nod to that, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe R two, maybe that's part of the programming of, of these droids is that they they just record everything and they they erase when needed. But like, I, I you know, must have a have a massive memory bank uh, to be able to replay it. To, to, to how many years has yeah. that as as R two D two then got in his in his metal box? I don't know. That's quite intriguing, now, isn't it? Yeah. To have to have recorded pretty much everything that's happened in the prequels and the original trilogy. Yeah. You just think if someone can tap into that, it can find out everything about what's happened pretty much <laughs> in, in, the, in the history of the Star Wars universe. Yeah. There'll probably be a lot of him and C-3PO sat out on the balcony, mind you. <laughs> so maybe not most riveting stuff, but there'll be some good stuff in there, I expect. Oh, sure. Um, particularly if you want to see about Anakin Skywalker. So that's yeah. quite a <laughs> Yeah, that's... Because that's not something I really thought about. As you said, you're not sure how how large his memory banks would be, but clearly it's if it, it's large enough to contain a lot of what's happened in the, in the Clone Wars and... 
and so forth, you know. So I don't know if if, if R two D two is telling the story of Star Wars, he'd better not die in Episode Seven. Otherwise, we've got no more films, have we? So hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. stays on for another trilogy at least. Stick around for yeah, Episode Episode Ten. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or, or unless unless what's the, what's the new droid called? BB eighty eight. If I'm correct, BB eight. Oh, BB eight. Well, if, if BB eight somehow manages to. Tra- well, the, the recording gets transferred to him. Then, you know, maybe we don't need R two anymore. Oh, don't say that! Don't say that! We always need R two. We always need R two. Leave us R two. I love you, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to go back to um, uh, Shadow Warrior for a second because you just remind me of something uh, with the whole uh, Force powers thing, perhaps being connected to Orphney. Uh, we kind of gl- glossed over this, but uh, Risha Lou, Lou, as we're calling him now, Lou. Um, yeah. He has that that Gungan spiritual thing that is able to control Boss Leone. Is that is, is that controlled by the Force? I, I like to think that it is. I think think it's it's kind of like Night Sister magic or, or or some of the Sith stuff that that uh, Palpatine and Dooku did in the Yoda arc. That is sort of this this different kind of use of the Force that maybe taps into a let's say dormant part that could awaken at a later date. I'm not so sure. I'm, I'm going to have to disagree with you there, actually. I think that one of the references in that episode that to me gives it away is when Dooku says to Richelieu that he's in his secret laboratory. And so for me, I've got more of an impression as, as Richelieu as some scientist akin to Dr. Nouveau Vindy <laughs> concocted a lot of these, what they would term magics, but in reality is, is just potions and uh, that, has, that has been constructed and, and created that by him. Can, a potion that's controlled by a necklace. I, I don't know. I feel like there's something, there's something a little bit more to that. Like I, I, I don't know. I, I don't like this concept that kind of got introduced a little bit. That there are different. That you know, there are all these different powers in the universe because I feel like that takes away from the force. So I'm always looking for ways that these things, like Night Sister magic or this or or what have you, sort of gets connected back into just being a different use of the force. And I, I, and mm-hmm. if, when it's when it's done that way, um, you know, maybe that that explains why the force has been dormant. If if that's what we can yeah. take the meaning of the episode seven title to mean. So any, anyways, yeah, because because also I. I Endear more to the Night Sisters' magic, so I like to think of that as being quite unique and special. And then when you find out that Orphney and and possibly Richelieu is also enacting in the same magic, so I I don't know. It seems a bit yeah. It it diminishes the exceptionalism of Mother Towsing and the Night Sisters, in my opinion. I like to think of them as, as I said quite a unique and separate group which has a which can hold a major threat to the sith and the jedi there's all these other ones just seemingly wannabes you know yeah in <laughs> uh, not doing anything with if she's in tune with the force what is her purpose because she didn't seem to be able to do anything other, other than talking riddles and then we've got this Richelieu gungan who again i i don't know i just have my doubts around him whether he is I mean, I mean, everyone is in, well, it depends how you define in tune of the force, but as Yoda has said, the force surrounds us, it's, it binds us, it penetrates us, and et cetera, et cetera. But 
it's, it's that the, the idea of wielding the force is something which I think is, should be unique to a Jedi and a Sith. And, and I don't see how you could, I mean, Richelieu is, is, and I mean, you never mother towels into an extent. They're not, they're not force wielders in the same way the Sith and the Jedi are. Um, and I think that's, that's a distinction which I'd hope would be, as you said, clarified in the force awakens. Yeah. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on from that. We'll move away from the, the Force Awakens, we could do that another time. <laughs> and we'll talk about a little bit about Nomad Droids. And there isn't, again, there's not, there's not too much to discuss really in these episodes, particularly the, the latter droid one, because it is principally, um, a story involving C3PO and R2D2 traveling around the galaxy and finding these different, different sentience and, and in principle, Overthrowing many of their dictators. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's that's the premise, I guess, of the late latter arc. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Yeah. Danny. Oh yeah, absolutely. These these the droids just kind of go around and destabilize all dictatorship governments, uh, which is strange. But you know, it was it was an interesting little adventure. Yeah, I don't know if you would. Well, I don't, perhaps the Clone Wars are providing us with a hidden message because it was yeah. also. Funnily enough, we talk about the overpriced dictators, but in the in the first half of the Nomad Droids episode, when they're on that planet, I apologies if I pronounce this wrong, but I believe it's Patitit Patuna. I'm just going to call it Patuna. And those little, <laughs> oh, I don't believe it. That's what they call uh, these little Patitis. <laughs> this is generally the name. Of these little Patitis are are being well. C-3PO is instructing them to formulate a democracy. Yeah. And, and he describes clearly, explicitly how to do so. You pick the, I don't know why it was free, but he, he said you pick the three wisest, most intelligent, um, the most brave and you know, physically strong individuals and you elect one of them is leaders, and so they all did their cheering and some sort of democratic election. Mm-hmm. And then after one was voted in, seemingly, and C-3PO said, you are now a democracy, they all start bickering with each other and <laughs> they start yep. tearing their hairs out. And they start having a fire. And I was thinking, what message are we trying to give about democracy? Now, well, it's, fact, it's, it's the... Well, uh, it's, it's, it's the what's that saying? It's the worst possible possible system unless you compare it to all the other ones, something yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, it's it, you know it's it, it's I think it's less about a message and it's more of a commentary that you know democracy is held up as this great thing, but it does take some compromise and and people uh, aren't always willing to compromise. And as we see with the petites, uh, they. They, they fall into the same, they fall into the same trap that everybody else does. So, you know. Uh, oh, absolutely. Sorry, I was just laughing because that, that word petites, I just. Well, we'll get to just... the, we'll get to the other species in just a second. <laughs> from oh, this no. episode. I'll look forward to that, won't we? So the, the next species on the list is the Baunabs. The, the what? <laughs> Is that how I pronounce them? The Balnobs? <laughs> I, I, I appreciate what you're doing. Continue. <laughs> the, I, you know what? Well, I don't know. The, these are just some strange names for species. But anyway, it's, it's on the planet Balnab. And um, see, again, they're overthrowing these, these droid dictators. 
And as I said, it's just following this trend. But this is going to direct me more to the the actual fortune cookie for this episode, uh, the which is a line that was used by Ben Kenobi himself in episode four. Who's more foolish, the fool or the fool who follows him? And uh, say what you will, there is a close relationship that is on evidence here on bo- in both of these episodes between C-3PO and R2-D2. But I believe that we witness genuine affection yeah. for C-3PO by R2-D2. I, I, if and you like a little commentary yeah. on that. And, well, yeah, possibly vice versa. I see, I see it more as R2-D2, though. I mean, C-3PO was seemingly taking R2 for granted a lot, a lot in these episodes. But maybe, maybe, maybe I've got a misinterpretation, but th- th- disclose your thoughts, Dominic, on the C-3PO R2-D2 dynamic in yeah. these two episodes. Well, you know, we see that they're, all, they're always bickering in, in this episode, really, more so than the other one. Uh, we do see that they actually care for each other, and we see that when, excuse me, when 3PO, uh, and when, when R2 runs out of power and 3PO, you know, Move, moves him into, into, you know, the shade. <laughs> don't know why, don't know why you need that, but, you, you, but, you know, it's, it's a nice gesture. It's a nice gesture. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do think that it shows some, some genuine affection between the two of them, uh, even if they do bicker 94% of the time. <laughs> is that 6% that actually, yeah, endears, in, <laughs> yeah. actually endears them to each other? I think, yeah, I, I would, I definitely agree that there, there is genuine affection there for, between both of the droids. It's just, for, for me, it's not as visible and tangible with C3PO towards R2D2 than the other way around. For example, when C3PO descends into that hole in the Mercy Mission episode as a result of that quake, R2 immediately follows him in. R2's not falling down as well. He, he gets his, uh, those those jet pack. What, what would you call those again? Those jet packs. Type jet, jet, jet rockets. Those rockets. Jet rockets. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, R 2s jet rockets. Uh, he descends into that hole along with C three PO. He's there to look out for his friend, and and I think it, that 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 was a nice dynamic to actually witness throughout this particular arc because that was the common and connecting theme at least. It's the interaction relationship between those two droids and. Say what you will. Uh, it, having a whole two-part arc dedicated on them certainly was not the greatest idea in the world. It wasn't the most compelling, and it didn't hold any grand ramifications for the Clone Wars or the saga as a whole. But it was it was a nice and light-hearted, as I said earlier, just... It was, it was a quite entertaining storyline. It was nice to have a little bit of a break from everything that was going on in the war. And you focused on these two beloved Star Wars characters. And say what you will, they are beloved. There's a reason why they're in Episode 7. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why people are happy to see them there. If if they weren't popular, they would have been... They would have hit the dust by, episode, by the end of Episode 4. Or the end of Episode 6. They wouldn't even have turned up in the prequel trilogies. You see, I, that would have been it. And, and people have become so 
delighted to see them and and as I said, uh, you know, endeared to them that they that they want to see them in in episodes. But I think perhaps how it works best is if they are involved in a in a if they're involved in a larger story with characters such as Anakin, Obi Wan, and Ahsoka, or it's more of a side story they're bickering between R two and C three PO. I think that would work more effectively than. I think these two episodes, which, all in all, the first one, if we're really going to talk about plot, is pretty much C-3PO, R2-D2, closing a seal. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they had. That was their objective. And then the Nomad droids was them recharging. That was the, yeah. that was the objective. Well, so it's not the most interesting and captivating storyline, but it was character-centric. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a reason that there were only what two seasons of droids. <laughs> you know, it did the show did the show about just those two characters didn't last, and I don't think it's any real surprise that the episodes that are just those two characters aren't usually very well received. I think they 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 work better as the uh, is the the comic relief, not as the focal point of the episode. Exactly, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head there, Dominic. Definitely not a vocal point, but they do work very much as comic relief and as a as a bastion, I guess, and and rapport between characters. I think that's that's really what their their role should be construed as. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, I think we're going to come to the end of all right, of this show, Dominic. <laughs> as we, we we've rattled through, actually, you know, we, we've done over an hour. On yeah, two droid it's, episodes it's and, and Shadow Warrior, which I think isn't isn't bad going. I would have to say. I don't know. I don't know what your opinion would be yeah. on that. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it's it's always fun to talk about Clone Wars, even when it's not our favorite episodes. And yeah, yeah, even when even when there are episodes of Clone Wars that don't particularly care for, uh, you know, there's no episode of Clone Wars that like makes me angry. And you know, there are some episodes of TV shows where you watch it and you just feel like ripped off. And there's, I never felt that way with Clone Wars. I always enjoyed the episodes to a certain extent. Um, but there were just, there are some episodes that are better and there are some episodes that, you know, given, given the choice would, would probably rather have, we would rather have seen something else in their place. But, you know, we got what we got and, uh, you know, we still love the show even when the episodes themselves are lackluster. Uh, so with that, absolutely. Yeah. So with that, let's let's transition into favorite quotes. Let's start with uh, Shadow Warrior. Do you have a, a favorite quote from Shadow Warrior, Kieran? Yes, so I do, and it is the exchange between General Grievous ah! and Captain Tarpals. Oh, oh, Captain Tar- oh between Captain Tarpals. Okay, between Ca- Grievous and Tarpals. Yeah. Tarples do continue. Was, it was the the final line before Tarpals bites the dust, mm. and Grievous has just stabbed him with the lightsaber. He says, how does it feel to die? And then Tarpal says, not die, sacrifice. And then he stabs Grievous. And uh, it was a very impactful and iconic moment of the episode, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Over to you, Dominic. What's your favorite quote? I'm guessing, I know where 
Where's yeah. going now? Grievous and Grievous Boss Lione? Uh, Grievous and Jar Jar disguised as Boss Lione. Just that whole sequence just of Jar Jar totally freaked out by Grievous and trying not to show it. And then him playing with the chair. And then you get this great line. Grievous says uh, something to the to, along the lines of, you're you're not much of a talker, Boss Lione. <laughs> to which Jar Jar replies, Misa is more of a deep thinker. <laughs> which is just... <laughs> Oh, it, it's such a, it's a little wink from the from the from the writers that they 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 know what people think of this guy. They know he's a bit crazy, and so they give him that line about being a deep thinker. Uh, so, how about from Mercy Mission? Do you have a favorite from Mercy Mission? You know what? I actually had quite a few. Really? Will it had a lot? Of, I thought it had a lot of funny quotes actually, okay. particularly from the clone troopers. Because I, I think maybe it's Britishism that I quite like the sarky humor. <laughs> So, um, there, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, I've got two, so I'll say one and pass it over to you and then we'll do vice versa. Oh. So one of them was at the beginning of the episode when that Alina is on the dragon or whatever sort of flying bird it's on. And then the clone trooper just looks and then in surprise looks, looks and turns away again and says, great, it's going to be another one of those planets. <laughs> I mean, that's the same way that many fans were thinking, oh, great, it's going to be another one of those episodes again. Yeah. Well, why don't you give your second, your second quote as well? Cause I'm going to, uh, I'm going to skip, I'm going to skip Mercy Mission and come back to it. Uh, so let's oh, go ahead and give your second one. But yeah, I like that one too. That was a good moment. And then the, I think it's the final one where Commander Wolf is talking with his other clone trooper and C-3PO is saying, oh, God, a great story to tell of our heroic. <laughs> Commander Wolf says, as soon as we rendezvous back with Master Galia, we're offloading those two. And then the other one says, oh, I couldn't agree more, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Again, representing many people's thoughts, offloading those two for the next two episodes, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> or the next two seasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, I'll go and then I'll All pass right. it to you, Dominic, for your one from Nomad, Nomad Droids. Droids. Yeah, for Nomad Droids, it's a line from, from C-3PO when they first wake up on the planet of the uh, Petites. Uh, and then he can see that there's something in the bushes. And so he says, whoever you are, please note that my counterpart here is programmed in 47 schools of self-defense. <laughs> I thought that was pretty, I thought that was pretty cute, the idea of the 3PO is trying to be tough. And so he says that R2 is programmed in 47 schools of self-defense. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So how about you? That is very cool. I, I did like that line as well. That was definitely on one of my backup lists if I didn't get... I can't believe I've got a backup list. Yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> this, is, this, is my, this is my number one for Nomad Droids. And it is on the same planet, Hatiti planet. And it's not on the Balnab planet now, is it? <laughs> no, it's not on the Balnab planet, unfortunately. <laughs> We're sticking with the Petites. And it's when R2-D2 and C-3PO have just been freed. Uh, R2-D2 starts getting aggressive with that big Heizu. And C-3PO says, no R2, I'm not going to let you at him. In fact, I'm going to switch you off before you cause an intergalactic incident. And then he smacks him down and squashes the big Heizu. I just... Comedy. I just think uh, stand-up comedy. It's fine. You know? let, let me at him. I love that. I love that R two would yeah. say, "Let me at him." Um, <laughs> Could you imagine? I'm just imagine him going, "Beep beep beep." Let me at him. Let me at him. Oh yeah. And so uh, my other my my favorite one from Mercy Mission is when those uh, big tree-like creatures are there. It's a very faint line. You really have to listen to in in order to hear it. Uh, one of the trees just in the background, very quietly says, "I am Groot." 
I think they even got Vin Diesel in there to record that. Three years before no. Guardians. Three years before Guardians. Uh, Three years really? before Guardians. No, of course not. Oh, I can't. <laughs> You're actually going to believe that. <laughs> Three years before the movie. And they came up with that. Uh, no, at that point, I don't think anybody knew who Groot was at that point. Not, not, at least not many. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, that's my favorite quote from Mercy Mission. I am Groot. All right, let's wrap it up. Let's get uh, some final thoughts on uh, Shadow Warrior, Mercy Mission, and Nomad Droids. And score out of 10. If you want, you can split up Shadow Warrior from Nomad Droids and Mercy Mission. So uh, go for it, Kieran. Final thoughts, score out of 10. Okay, starting off then with Shadow Warrior. For me, Shadow Warrior, it was a decent episode. It was not the greatest episode you'll ever see on the Clone Wars TV series, but it had some good action pieces. As I said at the beginning, I like the clash between Grievous and Captain Tarpauls. I really enjoyed the duel between Anakin Skywalker, Count Dooku, and there was even a bit of a droid skirmish between Anakin, Padme, and the commando droid. So overall, I think that that episode had a lot of good action set pieces in it. There was a story to it. As we said, they even touched a little bit about the backstory with the whole Naboo blockade and how Grievous was a crucial part in this war. So there were some big themes that were briefly touched upon and alluded to in this particular episode. So for me, Shadow Warrior, not a bad episode at all. I would give it a six and a half out of ten and i'll throw it over to you dominic final thoughts on shadow warrior yeah shadow warrior i i would give it a solid seven and a half i i quite enjoyed it lots of good action uh some touching moments with captain tarpals uh interesting like we said to see the padme anakin relationship kind of switched uh where where padme was making the the poor decision to rescue anakin uh instead of anakin making the poor decision to rescue her um and the anakin dooku duel was was great really cool to see that like I said, love the references back to episode one just in general. And of course, uh, Jar Jar and, and Grievous in the same room. Who would have thunk it? But that was possibly the best, epi- possibly the best, uh, sequence in, in the episode. One of the most comedic moments in the entire series. Uh, so yeah, solid 7.5. I'll throw it back to you for Mercy Minute, Mercy Mission and Nomad Roids. <laughs> not droids in distress. No, 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 not droids in distress. <laughs> not yet. Okay, so we've got Mercy Mission and Nomad Droids. They were not the best episodes you'll ever see on The Clone Wars, but I think they were light-hearted, humorous, comedic, and they worked what they very much worked out what they set out to do, in my opinion. The aim and the purpose was to make it, in my opinion, for open to young younger generations and you get to see the funny side of C-3PO R2-D2's relationship as they go on their own little adventure. Dominic alluded to it earlier, you'd had the Droids TV series a couple of decades ago and this was really a glimpse into what that series was about. And whilst it was not the most successful or most well received episodes in the world, I do think that it achieved what it set out to do and it was a fun little story. I quite like the fun interaction between the the commander wolf is wolf pack and the and the droids i thought it was actually quite amusing quite funny uh mate and i think it's more my british humor that gets it than than, than, than maybe dominic does so <laughs> i generally think that it was uh a, a quite a quite reasonably set out episode as i said there were there was comedy there there was action at some points and r2d2 
always amazing as ever. C3PO, his usual sarcastic British self. <laughs> and I just think that it, it worked out. And I would give this one, I would say, a, a five and a half out of ten. I also want to say quickly that the, the animation was exquisite as well in these in these two episodes. I've, I watched them on Blu-ray, and they've just amped up another notch. So whilst maybe you can't appreciate the storyline as much, you can appreciate the animation. And actually, as a result of that, I'm going to boost it to a six out of ten. So Dominic, over to you. Final thoughts on the droid arc. Droid arc. Well, I it's a it's a three and a half to be perfectly honest that they're gonna have out of ten i i i you know there, there are moments these episodes all have their moments i uh, like you said they're beautifully animated but overall um you know i could have could have done without them i you know i i i, I like it's like i said I, I don't understand the cult of wolf i i don't get that that, that following uh, he just seems like a jerk to me <laughs> um and then we just have and then we had the you know these these kind of ancillary adventures that, that you know they did expand the universe a little bit and that's that's nice to see but they didn't really uh add too much to the characters or to the the overall story which uh, which is which is what i really like characters and story and yeah it, it, there's some cool i would have liked to have seen more of the grievous versus adigalia fight it was kind of interesting in in, in nomad droids to, to, to sort of check in with that that story every now and again uh but uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, I kind of would have rather seen that story. <laughs> but uh, you know, you know, overall, uh, hey, still Star Wars, still Clone Wars. Uh, I, can't, I, I can't hate it. I, I still, I still enjoy watching them. But yeah, if I'm, if I'm being objective, I, I, I would give them like a, a, a three and a half, as I said. All right, so that will wrap it up. This is our final show of the year. I know we said that last time, but this time we mean it. We thought we thought we could we decide we wanted to get one more in, and uh, decide to do these ones. We'll be back in January with uh, discussions about the Umbara quadrilogy. Lots lots of interesting stuff in there to talk about. Uh, so until then, be sure to like us on, like us on Facebook, uh, Facebook.com/slash Clone Wars Strikes Back. Or just search Clone Wars Strikes Back. And uh, we'll be posting some awesome Clone Wars holiday-related things over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, also, follow us on Twitter at TCW Strikes Back, at DominicJ25, at CDuggan6, uh, to keep up with all the things that we are doing. Uh, Kieran, I, I take it Expression FM is off for the uh, the winter break, but I, I assume you guys will be back in January? Absolutely, we'll be back. On the airwaves, I believe, don't quote me completely on this, on the 6th of January, but um, hopefully we'll get a podcast out early in January and you can find out more when I can confirm or deny my <laughs> my previous <laughs> statement that I have made here on the date 16th of December 2014. <laughs> but yeah, I hopefully it'll be back. It will definitely be back early January time. Not entirely sure what date specifically, um, sports show will be on a Saturday. I expect Saturday the 11th, I believe it will be. So Saturday the 11th, if you want to tune into that from 11 till 2 p.m. And you can hear all about the latest Premier League news, rugby. Obviously, it's the big Rugby World Cup held here in England this year, or next year, I should say. <laughs> and we've got the Cricket World Cup. We've got so much sport to talk about. So please do get involved. And me and my co-host, Will Short, sadly will not be continuing a time pop. 
as a oh. show, but we will, but we will be doing a show. It will just be about a different, a different topic, a different area. And I think the area that we're looking to concentrate on will be dance anthems. So you may be able to tune into some of that. So all of you guys who are big fans of, I don't know, R. Kelly and, and, and Tsunami and those type of episodes that you hear in the nightclubs, Pitbull. I mean, you'll, you'll probably all want to listen into that one. We'll have some great tunes lined up for you. So more modern this time, less less back in time, more in today's time. But Dominic, over to you. I believe you've got your own podcast that you might want to disclose to yeah. the listeners. Yeah, we've got uh, a few more episodes of the Star Wars Underworld coming out this year. We'll uh, have new episodes uh, out this week, including something, a little bonus special for the holiday. You might even call it a holiday special. Might have something to do with the Star Wars holiday special. Perfectly honestly, probably it'll probably be out uh, around the same time as this, so you probably know what it is. <laughs> I just don't want to say what it is in case things fall through. Uh, but yeah, so we'll have that. We'll also have our annual Boxing Day show, Day After Christmas, where we'll uh, look back on the year that was, 2014. A huge year in Star Wars. So much to talk about, from Rebels to The Force Awakens and everything in between. Clone Wars You, could, uh, you, could, you confused six. me there for a minute, Dominic. I thought you meant you were going to do a, a day just dedicated to boxing. I thought, wow, this is a kind of books. Boxing day special. Would, you take a leaf would, out of expressions, yeah, but... Change, changing things up. We, we, we're, we're becoming the sports underworld. We're starting with boxing. Uh, we'll have a football a football show in January, and then we'll get into some hockey uh, right around the Stanley Cup. No, uh, we're sticking to Star Wars. Uh, we'll have, so we'll have lots of good shows coming up for you over... Uh, over the holiday period uh be sure to subscribe on itunes star wars underworld search for that that way you get star wars underworld and this show completely free you can't beat the price it's our christmas gift to you <laughs> uh, so thank you everybody for listening we'll be back in january uh have a merry christmas a happy hanukkah uh happy holidays no matter what you celebrate uh and of course a happy and safe new year so thank you everybody for listening see you in 2015 where the clone wars strikes back May the force be with you.